Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 20. I've been telling you guys, you know, off and on the last couple months or so, more than that probably, we're going to get back to the book of Revelation. We're going to get back to the book of Revelation. And I was hoping to start sooner than now, but uh, Revelation 20, verse 15. We're actually finished up verse 15. And I hope you guys, man, are paying attention to what the Word of God says because we're living in times that specifically more than any other time, times when it's time to turn off your cell phone, uh, <laughs> times uh, uh, when we, li- we live in, in, in times where, you know, the Bible says, says of Issachar knew what to do because they understood the times. Amen? We need to understand the times. Amen? We need to know what it is. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and religious leaders because he said you could discern what the weather's going to be like by looking you know, at the sky, what it's going to be like the next day, but you can't understand the signs of the times regarding his first coming. And Jesus warned believers, his apostles even, over and over again, that they better be ready had it come in their time or later to watch for the signs and be ready. And the book of Revelation, well, it gives us a radical insight into not just the signs of the times, but it gives us insight into the nature of God, how God is holy, how God is just. I believe the best theodicy ever written in the theodicy is the defense of God's character, his person, and who he is. The best theodicy ever written is the book of Revelation, by far and away. I've got a number of books on theodicy. I love theodicy. I love apologetics. I love stand up for who God is. Why does he allow suffering and things of that nature? I love those kinds of questions because I believe the very presence of evil in this world is evidence of the Lord God, because evil doesn't exist if there's evolution, or I should say, I mean, we do believe there's change within uh, species, but we don't believe you go from a, a speck of dust or an amoeba to a human being, okay? And we do believe there's order and design, and there's a creator standing behind it all, amen? But we believe that the transformation is, is, is minute, you know? We're, it's in our DNA. Transformation can take place in our being according to what's written in our DNA, but there's limits, amen? My DNA doesn't say, I'm going to grow wings, Okay? It'd be cool, but become a Christian then, because then when Jesus comes back, you'll fly, because you'll be caught up to meet him in the air. Amen? So anyway, uh, we look at the scripture, and Revelation is really heavy, but it shows us final judgment. And before I went into chapter 21, and we go into chapter 22, the last two chapters of Revelation, which I'm really excited about, I want to do one more message in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. I wrote a whole book that I never published that's sitting in my files, uh, like others, you know, on the book of life. It's called The Book of Life and the Blotting Out of the back, black, Backsliders. And I, I did one or two messages on the Book of Life, and I thought uh, in our, you know, last time we we're in Revelation, chapter 20, verse 15, I think I just did one, perhaps, on specifically the Book of Life. And I covered some issues. But in that book, I go through several views on the Book of Life, and I refute the ones that aren't biblical, that don't stand up to the totality of what's written in the 16 or so passages that reference the Book of Life. And I thought, you know what, I could go through an exhaustive study with you and look at all these different views, you know, uh, on the book of life and how they're found wanting. And I thought, wow, that's going to be a few studies long. I've been praying about that before we get into chapter 21 and 22, how much I should share. I said, you know what, I'm just going to do one more message on it, and I'm going to cover uh, the more, just more of the popular views, okay? Because some of the views are just very few people hold to, you know? Like F.F. Bruce, who is an impeccable scholar I respect very much his scholarship. He was a great scholar uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, he says, well, but the book of life is different than Lamb's book of life because maybe the book of life refers, he doesn't even say maybe. He, he thinks it refers probably to the local church, church's book, you know. Uh, because, and the reason people go and these, and, and I have to disagree with him there though. I mean, the people, folks, good scholars sometimes reach for different views because they don't want their particular view on soteriology, on salvation, to be contradicted in the Scripture. So they try to fit the Scripture into their priori viewpoint, the viewpoint that they already hold to. And sometimes it reduces scholars that are typically not impeccable. No one's impeccable except Jesus. But typically are very, very good scholars. Sometimes it reduces them to making horrible or very wrong and even sometimes misleading statements, which you'll see in this message I'm giving here with regard to some of the quotations I give. So uh, those are views I thought, should I deal with that view? And I go, you know what, I don't know anybody who really, very few people, he's the only one I saw that's even presented that as a viewpoint. So I thought, I probably should deal with the, what people commonly hear. And recently, uh, Doug Stevelton had a great question. He's like, Joe, because this is what people teach. And you just, you know, is the book of life different than the book of life of the Lamb? 
think that was last week when we talked. It was a great question because that's a very popular teaching. These are two different books. The book of life is different than the book of life of the Lamb. Well, why? <laughs> you know, where does it say that? You know, so we're going to look at that. And that's one of the questions that I plan on dealing with. Uh, and it's just interesting because uh, the main viewpoint that's very, very held is that, hey, yeah, you know what? Uh, almost every viewpoint, even the hardcore viewpoints that says you could never be blotted out of the book of life, would say also, well, there's two different books. Most of them would say that in some way, even though they would not subscribe to the book of life and the book of life of the Lamb and the New Testament being different. Most, the, most scholars would say those books are actually, they're the same. But if you look at their teaching, somehow they make a division between certain warnings that warn about being blotted out of the book of life because it doesn't fit their, their, their soteriology, you know? So Revelation, let's go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. It says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's a strong warning. Now let's look at the context. This is after Jesus returns. This is after he reigns for a thousand years. This is after Satan is let loose, who's been bound for that thousand years. He's let loose for a little while to deceive Gog and Magog, the nations of the earth, to come up against Christ, who is ruling with us believers in Jerusalem. And the Father rains fire upon them, destroys them. And the heavens and the earth roll up like a scroll, and uh, they're no more. Uh, and then there's a great white throne judgment, which is where we're at in Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 15. And it's like a parenthetical deal that goes on before there's a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. It's pretty interesting, you know? And, uh, you know, some say, is Jesus there? Is a the Father there? Well, I, I, Jesus is there. He's, he judges, you know? Uh, I can't show you a verse that says he's there, but since heaven and earth don't exist anymore and he is everywhere, you know, and all judgment's been given unto him, Jesus said, I, I believe he's there, you know. They say, people say, where are we at? Well, we're definitely not those being judged here because if you love Jesus, if you're trusting Jesus, what happens when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? We're caught up to meet him in the air, amen? And we'll forever be with the Lord, First Thessalonians chapter four, amen? We'll be reigning with Christ for a thousand years. We will have imperishable, incorruptible bodies, okay? Uh, our probation, our testing is over. You just gotta make it through this life, amen? And Jesus said, he that endures the end will be saved. Just continue to trust Jesus to the end and you're good, amen? Jehovah's Witnesses teach you then have to endure through the millennial period. Can you imagine? <laughs> for a thousand years, that's not what the Bible teaches because they only have a certain 140,000 that are actually gonna be resurrected and heaven bound and, and roll with Jesus. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says for all believers, if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him, amen? And all true believers will suffer for him, even if it's in the minutest of ways, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, amen? And all true Christians live righteously in Christ Jesus to one degree or another, amen? So we wanna look at this idea uh, so one of the ideas being posited is, well, you know what? The book of life of the Lamb is only for believers. So that's the book of life of the Lamb is only for believers. And the book of life, everybody's written in that book. I mean, it's very, very popular to hear this view. You're driving down the street, you're hearing J. Vernon McGee, that Southern draw and stuff, you know, has some good things to say. But then when it comes to the subject, you say, oh, the book of life is different than the book of life of the Lamb, you know, and you hear it over and over and over again. And, and so then it becomes just a common teaching within the body of Christ, uh, very common. And it's like, well, you know what? Why when Jesus says when the 70 disciples come back and they're rejoicing that they're casting out demons in his name and they're just blown away that these demons are being cast out of these people. And Jesus says, nevertheless, don't rejoice that you're, you have power over the demons, but rejoice that your names are written where? In heaven. Well, wait a minute. Why would... They, have to, they rejoice more than anybody else if everybody's name is written in heaven, amen? In one of the two books, supposedly two books. It just makes no sense. And to say that these are two different books and that everybody's name is written in the book of life is eisegesis, it's not exegesis. I can't find one verse that says, I mean, that, that in, even, in, even partially seems to indicate that everybody's name is written in the book of life. Or that there's a distinction between the book of life and the book of life of the Lamb. In fact, I find evidence on the other side to be quite compelling. But first of all, this is what happens. This is why people say there maybe there's two different books. 
Because some people that hold that, you know, once you're in the book, you're always in the book. Once you're saved, you're always saved. It's impossible to fall away. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible warns believers, genuine believers, not non-believers, to not fall away, okay? Would you warn your kid not to fall off the monkey bars if they weren't on the monkey bars and never going to be on the monkey bars? No, okay? So some people don't want to believe that you can be blotted out of the book of life, so they say, well, maybe everybody's book name is written in the book of life because they know there's certain scriptures that warn about being blotted out of the book of life, and there's certain scriptures that say where God actually did it. For instance, Exodus chapter 32, 33, after Moses had ascended the mount and they were worshiping the golden calf and turned from him in idolatry, uh, the Lord says, and the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I punish them for their sin. And there's Moses right before that pleading, don't blot them out, blot me out, you know? And what a, what a heart, amen, humblest guy on the earth, you know? And, uh, and Paul saying, I wish I was cursed for my kinsman's sake, which he knew he couldn't take their sins, but all that points to the beauty of only Jesus could do that, amen, who died for all of our sins. Psalm 69, David, while seeking the Lord concerning certain apostates in Israel, uh, specifically this is a passage that's quoted of Judas and his apostasy as one of the 12 apostles who abandoned his, his apostleship, the scriptures say. David writes, charge them with crime upon crime, chapter 69, verses 27 and 28. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Notice that the book of life is the book of who? The book of the righteous. And here it quotes the same passage as used of Judas who left his own habitation, who turned away and boom, and it's a warning, you know. And David says, may they not be written with the righteous, indicating again the book of life is not a book that everybody's name is written in. Again, why rejoice that your names are written in heaven? If everybody's name is written in heaven, you said, just tell everybody, hey, they're saved, you know, because obviously your name being written in heaven is a big deal. It means you're a citizen of heaven, amen? Book of life means you have life. Now, last time I was in this, I, I went through different teachers that, that just denied that you could be blotted out of the book of life or the book of life lamb, that see the books, book of life and book of life lamb, New Testament is the same book. They're consistent there, and I agree with them there. Praise God, yeah, it's the same book. So they would say, yeah, non-believers' names have never been written in the uh, book of life. They would go that far, and they would say the book of life and the book of life of the Lamb are the same book, but they said your name can never be blotted out. And I quoted, and I won't spend as much time on that because I'm just going to, in case somebody just grabs this message, I want them to at least understand that that view is not biblical either. John MacArthur says, Christ says some petty king may, well, <laughs> go to Revelation 3. Let's get the context here. Because he's commenting on Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes, verse 5, Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now understand the context here is the overcomer is the one that doesn't fall away like so many people at the church of Sardis had. The church of Sardis was a, a church that had a name, that they were alive. People would say, oh, the church of Sardis, man. Yeah, there's a lot of people who loved Jesus there. But guess what? The Lord, with his eyes of fire in the book of Revelation, seeing into the heart, he sees that that church has become part of the world, the evil world system, where they've embraced, whether it's evil behavior, uh, probably behavior here because he talks about the garments and so forth, philosophies and what have you. Look at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, this is Jesus saying this, having this written. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Our deeds show forth our faith. This church is a dead church. Now, guess what? There's some that remain alive there. There's a remnant in that church still that needs to be strengthened before they commit apostasy too. Because he goes on to say, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, verse two, which we're about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God, verse three. So remember what you have received. That's the gospel. 
and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come to you. Jesus gave these kinds of warnings to believers over and over again. And it just drives me crazy when all his warnings to believers are, well, these are for non-believers. What? No. The very warnings are to help us persevere. So let's take them seriously. So he warns them that he'll come like a thief. Remember Jesus said, if that servant, that righteous servant, he talks about that servant who does his master will, gives out meat in due season, Luke chapter 12. But if that servant, that righteous servant says, oh, my Lord delays his coming. He's not coming for a while. Begins to beat his maidservants, get drunk with the drunkards. Don't be getting drunk. I'll come at a time when he's not aware and I'll cut him in pieces and put him with the unbelievers. Where the unbelievers go, Revelation 21.8. But for the cowardly, the cowardly of those who turn away from Christ during persecution. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, uh, you know, all liars, idolaters, you know, mur- mur- all those guys, they're placed in the lake of fire. So he warns us in Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, that I'm coming like a thief. Be ready. And these guys, and being alert and be ready and being awake and saying wake up, doesn't mean that you're awake and you're on your house looking for his coming. No, being awake means to be spiritually sober. It means to have a walk with God, uh, having, uh, being spiritually alive in him, seeking him, knowing him, walking with him. Amen? And then he warns in verse 4, but you have a, or actually it's an encouragement with a warning coming up, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. So we have these garments of salvation. Amen? And these guys have not soiled their garments. They haven't gone back into the wickedness of the world and back to the pollutions after having been cleansed. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. That's heavy. They're going to walk with me in white. But verse 5, he who overcomes will thus be what? Clothed in white garments. And I will what? Not erase his name from the book of life. And I will what? Confess his name before my father and before his angels. What a beautiful promise that is. And guess what? We confess him, amen? He confesses us. He said in Matthew chapter 10, if we deny him, he will what? Deny us, amen? And by the way, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, names that aren't found written in the, in the book of life, guess what? They're thrown in the lake of fire. They're not being confessed by Jesus. Their names are not in the book of life. He's not confessing their names. To have your name in the book of life is the same as having Jesus confess your name. Now, it's interesting, this is a promise slash warning, amen? Verse 5, Revelation 13, 5. He overcomes, will thus be clothed, clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, implying that if you don't overcome, what will happen? Your name will be what? Erased. But if you're an overcomer, your name won't be erased. Were the other, were the other folks in Sardis, the dead ones, who had soiled their garments and weren't walking with him? Because these are just a few, he says. There are a few in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. All right? And I will not erase their names from the book of life. He that overcomes, I'll confess his name before my father and the angels. So it's important to understand that the church of Sardis, the majority of the church of Sardis, aren't overcoming. What does it mean to overcome the book of Revelation? Chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him, that is Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Right? They're confessing Jesus as Lord. They trust in the gospel. And they love not their lives unto the point of death, meaning they held their faith to the end. That's what it means to be an overcomer. It means to continue in the faith, to continue to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, now you can imagine what happens if you're a pastor of a church and you're constantly teaching that you can't be blah, blah, book of life and you have people that run across scriptures like, Exodus chapter 32, verse 33, where they're blotted out. Psalm chapter 69, where they're blotted out. Revelation uh, chapter 3, where those who are overcomers are promised that because they're overcomers, their names won't be erased. What that would do to you, you'd be like, oh, oh, pastor, I have a problem. What's going on here? This doesn't seem to fit our theology. Jesus seems to be contradicting what we're teaching because you're teaching once in the book, always in the book, but uh, the book seems to say that's not true and there's no... Verse that says once you're in the book, you're always in the book. Ah, what happens? Well, John MacArthur writes, uh, you know, we, and people have different views on these subjects. And 
And, this, and, and, you know, we have to look at the different views. Or we could be one of those churches where we get together. I tell a few stories. We mentioned John 3.16. And we say, hey, have a great day. And you just don't know what the scriptures say. And you don't care what the scriptures say other than, hey, I got in the door. No, we need to interact with, with what's being taught out there. Okay? And that's what, and it's like, some would say, well, if you, yeah, that's some heavy teaching, even for like a Wednesday night or whatever. Should reserve, no, I'm sorry, that's us, man. That's Sunday morning too. Okay, that's who, I believe that's who God's called us to be, is to be stretched, amen? Well, I'm gonna miss certain points. Well, it's okay, like, I like, like what Joe Buck says sometimes. Because I tell some people, some stuff might go over your head, but just what you do receive, you'll be, you'll be challenged with, you'll grow from, amen? And I've had so many people say to me, you know, wow, coming here is like coming to a, going to a seminary. Um, I'm like, praise God, but in, inside I'm like, praise God, I'm like, well, some seminaries are dangerous though, <laughs> you know, uh, most of them, by the way, these days. In fact, uh, I don't agree with John MacArthur's theology, but his seminary is more sound in a lot of areas more than most seminaries, and it is, because they teach the sufficiency of scripture, you know, Jesus, Lord, and so forth, so there's some good there too, right? But there's also some things that I would disagree with quite severely, uh, in fact, John MacArthur writes, I need to explain this because people ask this all the time. He says, I will not erase their names from the book of life. By the way, he doesn't just say that. He says, he that what? He that who? Who doesn't erase their names? He that what? He that overcomes. It's a conditional promise, right? So he writes, I need to explain this because people ask all the time. He, will, he says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. People say to me, does this mean that God might erase my name from the book of life? In other words, people are coming to him all the time in his church saying, what's this verse mean? Because it doesn't seem to fit their theology. Of course they're asking that question. Kind of confirming what I was saying earlier. I can't believe people ask that question, MacArthur writes. Because the verse says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. Again, it's a promise for the overcomer. The context is king, amen? What would make someone think that he might uh, he might when he just said he won't because <laughs> they're reading the context, John. How can you turn a promise into a threat? This doesn't imply that God puts names in and takes them out at random. Whoever said he takes them out at random, by the way? That's just muddying the waters. Come on, that's like a little debate tactic. Okay, don't use it though because I don't believe it's right to use those kind of tactics. tactics. Because he's not dealing with the context of the passage there. And John, in his favor, he'll usually deal with the context of a passage unless the context of the passage contradicts his theology, then they can go out the window. So uh, he says, Christ says some petty king might blot your name out of the, their books, but I will never blot your name out of my book. He's not saying that you can lose your salvation. He is saying the opposite. Now notice this. He says so many wrong things here. He also says, uh, no, no, God put the names before the foundation of the world. Really? Where does anybody say, he takes them out at random, we don't say that. I don't know if anybody teaches that. And where does it say in the Bible? He says, no, God put their na the names in before the foundation of the world. In other words, before the world was created, God put the names in the book of life of those who would be saved, is what he's saying. Hmm. Where is that in the Bible? You might find a verse in the Calvinistic translation in the ESV, if you have the English Standard Version, where it says that, but that is a gross mis- translation, which I'll deal with later in this, in this message, because the Bible doesn't say he puts their names in before the creation of the world or before the foundation of the world, but since or from, since the foundation of the world. We'll get into that in a little bit. He says, no, God put the names in before the foundation of the world, and he put them in there because he was going to bring about eternal salvation, and under, and under no circumstances will he ever erase those names. Really? How about worshiping a golden calf? Exodus 32, verse 33. Under no circumstances he will erase those books. Ask those whose names were blotted out of the book of life in Exodus chapter 32, verse 33. Ask Judas and the apostates that David says, may they, not be, may they be blotted out and not be written the righteous. I'm sorry, my mind is held captive by the word of God and I do not want to budge an inch. I don't care what's popular. I don't care what people say. Well, that, you know what? They teach that, you know, that Moses, you know, that, that, that God blotted, Exodus 32 teaches that God blotted names out of the book of life. Well, yeah, that's what the Bible teaches. <laughs> go, go, to Psalm, go to Exodus 32, verse 33. Well, they teach that David prayed that people's names be blotted out of the book and not written the righteous. No, that's what the Bible teaches in Psalm 69, amen? 
And by the way, millions of Christians believe what we believe, okay, but popular evangelicalism, that's a different story. So he says, under no circumstances will he ever erase those names. Your salvation was sealed before the world began. God may take your life for sin, but he will never take your salvation. Ooh, now this kind of, catch that? And, and John MacArthur, in his favor, teaches that you need to follow Jesus as Lord. And if he's not your Lord, you're not saved. And he's come under a lot of persecution because of that, of those who teach easy believism and cheap grace uh, and teach that Jesus doesn't have to be your Lord and that you can just accept him as your Savior, but give him the middle finger and do your own thing and you'll be fine in heaven eventually. Just lose some rewards. And I'm, I applaud John MacArthur for saying that. That's great. And doing that, that's my, our view as well. Okay. However, you tend to teach license yourself at times when you say under no circumstances can your name be blotted out of the book of life. In other words, no matter what you do, blaspheme the Holy Spirit, although he believes that's impossible for anyone to do right now, or say you become, you, you open up a whorehouse and you become a devil worshiper and there's an upside down cross in the front of it, you still can't be blotted out of the book of life. He says God might take your life, your physical life, but not your salvation. Which now gets into the eisegesis where he's reading the scripture rather than exegesis, ek, Jesus, where you take out of scripture what it says. Because how does he deal with Exodus 32, verse 33? How does he deal with Psalm 69, both passages that clearly teach you a lot of the book of life? You know how he deals, does it? Well, they had to do with physical life. They, you know, most likely, I don't know if he says most likely, but those, those books were dealing with their physical lives, but not their spiritual lives. That would indicate, I mean, that's not consistent. I'm sorry. That's just not consistent with the scripture. And a lot of scholars that are, would even agree with the soteriology to a degree of John MacArthur will disagree with that viewpoint, okay? Um, because it's, it's arbitrary. It's just saying, well, it's because you want, you've got to explain away those verses to fit your theology. So he explains it away by saying, well, that just has to do with your physical life. So therefore, guess what? He ends up teaching that there's two different types of what? Books. So in, even though he doesn't do it with the book of life and the book of life of the Lamb, the two different books, which some do to get around this same thing we're talking about, because there's a lot of people that Dallas Theological Seminary, others that say, yeah, there's definitely, you can be blah, blah, the book of life. That's clear. We're not going to say, you know, but they're going to, but they'll say, but the book of life is just, you know, saying John, what John's saying, but John would say the book of life in the New Testament they'll say the book of life in the New Testament is different than the book of life of the Lamb, and you can be blotted out of that book because, and we'll get into that in a little bit. So uh, I do want us to understand, though, that context trumps everything. And when John MacArthur, anybody who teaches this teaching, comes to Revelation chapter 13, verse 5, the context of the book of life in chapter 13, 5, is that you stay in the book if you are an overcomer. And only the overcomers are the ones whose names are not written in the book of life. And that's, I mean, these, these warnings, like Revelation chapter 2 to the church of Smyrna, you know, under the angel of the church of Smyrna, right? You know, these things, uh, say, I think he talks about the one who is the first and last and, and it was dead but is alive. And he says, fear none of those things which shall, shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison for 10 days that you may be tried. You know what he says? Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto what? death, and I will give you a crown of life. And he goes on to say, he that overcomes will not be, he that overcomes is faithful to death, right? Will not be hurt by the second death, which you find out later in the book of Revelation is the lake of fire. Okay? So the overcomer is the one who is faithful unto death and he receives a crown of life and he doesn't experience the second death in the lake of fire. The overcomer is the one whose name is not blotted out of the book of life. That's the one who's faithful until death. The chapter before, chapter 2, Revelation 12, 11. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. So uh, the book of Revelation is very, very clear. You know, you need to persevere in your faith. Then we're saved by grace through faith. We need to continue to trust the Lord. Now, let's look at this other view. Uh, let's look at this other view. You know, I, I, I probably ought to uh, say this, though, before I pass to this other viewpoint, where these are two different books, the Book of Life and Book of Life of the Lamb. 
are two different books in the book of Revelation. We're going to deal with that view because that's a very popular view. That's the view that Doug brought up. Doug didn't believe that, but he was just wondering, like, you know, what's with this view and what's your take on that? You know, I, you know it's a question. Uh, but Professor Robert Thomas, okay? Robert Thomas has a uh, commentary on the book of Revelation, which I've consulted. I have had over 30 commentaries in the book of Revelation. I like to read every view, okay? I've been quoting from John MacArthur's commentary as well, right here. You know, and I disagree and I agree, but I also want to see if I have blind spots. I want to see if I see something wrong, you know. You need to do that. You can't just, you know, and I love to check myself. And I love to look at different commentaries and get different viewpoints on things, especially the book of Revelation, you know. There's a lot of imagery used and allusions to the Old Testament and so forth. And, uh, but Robert Thomas, I would say, has, it's, it's very dispensational. We're, we do believe that God's not done with Israel and so forth, but it's pre-trib and it's OSAS, you know, once saved, always saved. So I disagree with Thomas in some areas, but it's one of the better, outside of those issues, it's one of the better commentaries in the book of Revelation, okay? Uh, there's some really, uh, Beale has a good commentary in the book of Revelation, but he's amillennial. It's like, ouch, you know. Uh, Grant Osborne has a really good uh, commentary in the book of Revelation, which uh, if you're looking for a commentary in the book of Revelation, because we just had a question in our podcast about commentaries, and I wanted to get that in there, but we ran out of, we're running out of time. But Grant Osborne has a really good translation. Uh, 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 he just died a few years ago. Great expositor. And I agree with pretty much almost, almost everything he says in that commentary. It's really good on the book of Revelation. Uh, Hal Lindsey deals with this two-book issue, because now guess what? Hal Lindsey believes once you're saved, you're always saved no matter what. But then he sees these people getting blotted out of the book of life. It's like, uh-oh. How do you get around that? So he says, ah, the book of life is the book where everybody's name is written. You're just all in it. And the book of life of the Lamb, that's a book that's different. And it's those who've been saved by Christ's blood, the blood of the Lamb, that are in that book, and that's the book for salvation. And everybody's name, saved and unsaved, is already written in the book. Some will say before the creation of the world again. And then it's not until you receive Jesus that your name is written in the book of life of the Lamb or it was written in the book of life of the Lamb because God knew you'd receive Jesus or predetermined that you'd receive Jesus, i.e. Calvinism, and it was written in the book of life of the Lamb. But your name, and there's all different viewpoints as far as, uh, or I should say, uh, theological backgrounds that hold these different views. So, but basically right now, do you understand? There's people saying, ah, oh, everybody's name is written in the book of life. Only say people's name is written in the book of life of the Lamb. Well, Hal Lindsey, he wrote The Late Great Planet Earth, Countdown to Armageddon, two of the most popular books ever written, okay? The Late Great Planet Earth was the most popular nonfiction book written for years, you know, when it came out. Uh, Hal Lindsey declares, quote, those whose names are no longer in God's book will be the ones who worship Antichrist. So he recognized that there will be people whose names who had been written in the book, he says, who will worship the Antichrist. John Walvoord, who was a dean of Dallas Theological Seminary says their names were in the book of life, okay? So now here's these guys saying that there's people that fall away whose names are not maybe fall away. They might not use that language, but they were in the book of life. But how do they explain it away? Well, they were never saved because everybody's name is in the book of life. So now we need to go ahead and look at a couple things. Go to Revelation chapter 13, 8. Does the Bible teach that these are two different books? The book of life is for everybody. Everybody's in it. And by the way, when you get blotted out of the book of life, they say is when you die. So if you're in the book of life and you never receive Jesus and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're blotted out. So you live your life, everybody's in the book of life because God intends to save you, many will say. And he puts you in the book of life because Jesus died for you. But if you don't receive Jesus as your Savior, they'll say Savior, many of them are not Lord and Savior. Uh, then many, most, many, most probably say Lord and Savior though. If you don't receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you die, you're out of the book of life. But if you're in the book of life and you receive Jesus before you die, you stay in the book of life and then your name has also been written in the book of life of the Lamb. And they'll probably disagree as to when that happened. John Walvoord, well, <laughs> look at chapter 13, verse eight. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. So we know all that dwell on the earth will worship him, except, of course, believers. There's a great multitude that no man can number uh, that don't worship the Antichrist. And he comes back, Revelation 19, his bride is made ready and so forth. And Jesus spoke of those who endure to the end. And he said that uh, 
Revelation, Matthew 24, 30, 29 through 31, that the angels will gather them as, he, as you know, they'll gather his elect from the four winds of heaven. So obviously there'll be some that won't, but he says of those who do worship the beast. And all, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. That is the Antichrist. And then he says, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. So if your name was never written in the book of life of the lamb that was slain, you're going to worship the Antichrist. Because being in the book of life of the lamb that was slain, everybody will agree on this subject that those are saved people. Because even those who believe there's two different books, the book of life is a different book than the book of life of the lamb, believe that the saved people are in the book of life of the lamb. And all those whose names were never written in that book, they're going to worship the Antichrist, it says. In what books it talking about here specifically? Assuming there's two books, which there aren't, but assuming for the sake of argument there aren't. What book, of, what book is he talking about in 13.8? The book of life of what? Are you guys with me? The book of life of the Lamb. They're going to worship the Antichrist. And that fits 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says all of those who refuse to love the truth will what? Believe the lie. They'll be given over to strong delusion and they'll worship the, the Antichrist, the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2. So non-believers or people that say, well, I'll get saved when I think, see things really heat up. When I see the Antichrist, the mark of the beast come out, then I'll receive Christ. No, the Bible says if you reject the love of the truth, you're going to be given a strong delusion. It's going to be so strong, you're going to be sucked up to it. Don't play with God. Get right right now. Amen? You don't mess with God. So this would seem to her have a huge problem on those who say everybody's name was written in the book of life. But then, wait a minute. They say, no, no, this is the book of life of the Lamb. John Walvert admits, he goes this, this verse presents a number of problems. No, it doesn't. It doesn't present any problems if you just accept everything the Bible says about the book of life. But if, you're, if your theology is struggling, it does. This book presents a number of problems. We would say, uh, we would say so, right? He goes on to say that, uh, that unbelievers' names, quote, have, quote, not been written in the uh, book of life, or, or for the foundation of the world, in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. He says that the phrase book of life uh, from the foundation of the world, uh, basically, his, he, he goes on to say, when I get all the minutiae, he's basically saying, you know, they haven't been written in this book. Doesn't mean they weren't written in the book of life who worship the Antichrist, okay? Now, so he states, and I think this is interesting, that Revelation 13.8 posed a problem for those who would contend that all the names that have been recorded in the book of life uh, were always there. So Walford recognizes its consistency, claims that, quote, A, all humanity has been recorded in the book of life. Different book. Only, only unbelievers can be blotted out of the book of life. B, and C, unbelievers' names have, quote, not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain, Revelation 13.8. So that's the argument. And I try to quote their best scholars instead of just, you know, anybody but that's basically what Walvert is saying right there. I wanted to give him a, a hearing. Now, Walvert states this verse presents a number of problems. Some references to the book of life seem to indicate that it, it is in this, it is the book of the living, namely, of all born in the world, and that the, seem to indicate, <laughs> that's kind of weak. When you, have, when you hear a theologian say seems, perhaps, could mean, put on the brakes. Don't go there with him and say, hmm, let me test what he's saying, Right? All born in the world and those who do not trust in Christ are blotted from it, leaving only those who are saved. The simplest explanation here seems the best, namely that their names were written in the book of life from eternity past. Now he says from eternity past. Where does it say from eternity past? As John MacArthur, I quoted them twice saying, or at least once so far, they were written there before the foundation of the world. Where does it say they were written there before the foundation of the world? It doesn't. Okay. Now, are you with me? Okay, now, now it's assumed, you know, that these are two different books, but uh, there's, there's some problems, and I want to present the problems. Tim LaHaye, he wrote the whole Left Behind series that was the most popular series ever written uh, among, in, in, in the Christian church, and he writes this two-book view. He has the same two-book view. Revelation 13.8 tells us about a similar book to the Book of Life of the Lamb. 
The lamb referred to is Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, John 1, The lamb's book of life is the book of Jesus Christ. Now, it's the lamb's book of life. It's the book of Jesus Christ in which are entered the names of those who have received eternal life. So that's the lamb's book of life. Primarily because a person's name can be blotted. Now, listen to what he says. Primarily because a person's name can be blotted out of the book of life. He recognizes that. Okay, and we agree with that. That last part. I am convinced that the book of life and the Lamb's book of life are not the same book. Now notice he says, because. <laughs> In other words, the Lamb's book of life is the book of the life of those who've been saved. I agree with that. Your name can be blotted out of the book of life, he says. He gets said, I agree with that. Where do we disagree? He says, they must be different books though, because you can be blotted out of this book, so you probably can't be blotted out of that book because that would ruin my view of once saved, always saved is basically what he's saying. Are you with me? So he recognizes that names can be blotted out of the book of life, and I applaud him for recognizing that, but not the next move he makes. LaHaye states, when we are born, our names are automatically written in the book of life. Where does it say that? This is called eisegesis. Now at least say perhaps. Say maybe, okay? Do that. I try never, and I'm, not, I'm far from perfect, you know? In fact, if you look at my 30 plus years of, of pastoring, I'm sure you could find a mistake here and there. Hopefully it's... I, it's such a minimum, you know, because I try to be, be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. But we're not perfect. But you got to, when you're consigning something to writing, you know, uh, you know, you got to be careful. When we are born, our names are automatically written in the book of life. Eisegesis, not exegesis. Eisegesis reading into the text. And they remain there as long as we live. Really? Where's that said? These are all fallacies that aren't in the Bible. Upon our deaths, if we have sinned, and all have sinned and have not been redeemed by the Lamb, and or if we have dis, uh, detracted from the words of his prophecy, our names are blotted out of the book of life because the Revelation chapter 21 verse 19 says if you take out from the book of this uh, prophecy, your name will be deleted from or blotted out of the book of life. That's in the older or manuscripts that aren't as close to the apostles though. I mean, that'd be a verse I'd be using that would definitely strengthen my viewpoint, you know, but I don't need it because we got all this verse. But actually, in the best manuscripts, it's not being blotted out of the book of life. It's your name, your part will be taken from the things written in the Holy City, right, that are written about the Holy City. That's your inheritance, and that, that would include the book of life, obviously, because that's in the Holy City, right? So you kind of get there in the same way, but it doesn't literally say what he's saying there uh, in the best manuscripts, even though that would help our side, not their side. Anyway... The Bible is very clear. First of all, is the book of life and the book of life of the Lamb, are they two different books? Ha! Now listen. Now you can say no, but can you have evidence that would, well, intuitively you're like, I believe no, because come on, it just, it's consistent to just say no. And I agree with that. But we can go a little bit stronger though on that. First of all, because, one's called, because it's called the book of life a number of times, but also called the book of life of the Lamb a couple times, doesn't make it a different book because the wording is a little bit different. In fact, listen to this. Do you know how many different terms there are for the Bible in the Bible? All kinds of different terms. In fact, the only term you won't find of the times that terms I use is the word Bible in the Bible. Biblios in the Greek. It's not in the Bible, you know. But guess what? You'll find Word of God in Mark 7, 13, uh, Romans 10, 17. I give you a bunch of scriptures where it's called the Word of God. It's called the Oracles of God, Romans 3, 2. It's called Scripture, Mark 12, 10. I give you a bunch of scriptures in all these. The Scriptures... Matthew 22, 29, the Holy Scriptures or Holy Scriptures, Romans 1, 2, sacred writings, 2 Timothy 3, 15, uh, the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2, 15, the utterances of God, 1 Peter 4, 11, King James would have oracles of God there, the sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6, 17. So what if I told you there's another book than the Bible? The Bible refers to it. It's called the Scriptures. The Bible is called the Holy Scriptures. But there's also the scriptures. Look, it says the scriptures here, and it says the holy scriptures over here. They must be two different books. What would you say to me? Prove it. Right? You'd say, prove it. Don't worry. Like I said, I've, I'm sure I've made mistakes, but not that kind of mistake. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to try to prove something that I'm, that's, would not have even be my heart, right? Well, guess what? The book of life of the Lamb and the book of life are the same book. Thus saith, watch the scripture. Go to Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. We're already there, right? You already turned there, right? <laughs> All who dwell on the earth will worship him. That is the Antichrist context. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb. 
who has been slain. Look, everybody whose name has not been written in it, they're going to worship the Antichrist for sure. This is not dealing with those whose names have been written. It's just saying everyone whose names weren't written in it, they're going to worship the Antichrist. Yeah, well, we agree, Joe, the people that believe in two, two different books. Yeah, we agree. That's the book of life of the Lamb. It says their names weren't written, but everybody's name was written in the book of life. Oh, yeah? Go to Revelation 17, 8, where it says the same thing. But it doesn't say book of life of the Lamb. It says book of life. Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. And the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the what? Book of life. Not book of life of the Lamb now. Has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Was everybody's name written in the book of life, guys? Yes or no? This scripture very clearly says no. By the way, this is a parallel scripture to Revelation 13, 8. Revelation 17, 8. Very easy to remember these, by the way, if you ever get in a discussion on this subject. 13, 8, 17, 8. Show you it's the same what? The same book. Amen? Are you with me? So those of you guys who are saying, when I said, are there different books? You say, a lot of people, no. Well, yeah, you can say, obviously not. Amen? So the viewpoint that everybody's name is written in the book of life when they're born, right? And they're blotted out when they die if they don't receive Jesus, is unbiblical. Because here it indicates that those who don't come to Christ don't only not have their name entered in the book of life of the Lamb, but they don't have their name entered into the what? Book of life, period. It's the same book. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. Our Lamb, it's his book. The book of life is his book because he died for our sins. If you get into it, you're in the book of life. You're in the book of life of the Lamb because he is the life. Amen? Amen. So, are you still with me? Okay. <laughs> I. Howard Marshall. By the way, I love I. Howard Marshall. He, was of, he passed on a few years ago. He's one of my favorite scholars. He was really reputed in scholarship among you know, Reformed and non-Reformed people. Highly esteemed. He wrote in his book called Kept by the Power of God, page 175. The possibility of failure to endure is mentioned. Uh, Christians who fail to persevere will come under judgment, and their names will be blotted out of the book of life. There is no reason to suppose that these warnings are purely hypothetical. It's talking about Revelation 13, 5 at this point. Oh, chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcomes his name won't be blotted out of the book of life. There's no reason to believe that these warnings are hypothetical, directed against non-existent dangers. The reverse is the case. Moreover, the reference to the book of life indicates that John is addressing his warning to believers. John Wesley wrote, quote, If any who are saved make shipwreck of their faith, God will blot them out of the book, although they were written therein from, now he gets this off, they were written therein before the foundation of the world. He's right except for before the foundation of the world, okay? Now, John MacArthur says, seven times in the New Testament, believers are identified as those whose names are written in the book of life. Okay, so far so good. The book of life belongs to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. Now, he says that's good too. He says the book of life belongs to who? The Lamb, the Lord Jesus. So he sees them as the same book. Uh, the Lord Jesus is the registry in which, I'm sorry, belonging to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus is a registry in which God inscribed the names of those chosen for salvation before the foundation of the world, okay? Before the foundation of the world. Uh, he says, as I read earlier, no one could put names in, I'm sorry, no, but God put names in before the foundation of the world, and he put them there because he was going to bring about eternal salvation under no circumstances. Under no circumstances will you ever, will you ever erase those names. That's not scriptural. However, notice two different times I'm quoting him, and I quote Wesley, and we agree with Wesley's statement, but it's common for people, even non-reformed, non-Calvinists, to say, oh, before the foundation of the world. I may have even used that language in the past, okay? Uh, so, but it's not technically correct. Yes, I do believe he foreknew us before we were created, no doubt about it. He's omniscient, amen? And those whom he foreknew, right, he predestined them. Who are they? For God, uh, God works all things together, verse before that. God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, foreknew what? He foreknew them and he foreknew that they would love him. They would re receive the gospel. They'd turn to him. 
He predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. So we have no problem here with the doctrine of predestination, election, although we do believe it's conditional that anybody could be predestinated. God knows who's going to accept Christ or who's not. It's based upon whether you receive Jesus or not. And God knows what your decision you're going to make, who's going to love him. Curses everyone who does not love the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. However, <laughs> this statement before the foundation of the world can be very misleading when you use it to bolster your theology because it's not in the text. If you're saying, well, before the foundation of the world, it was already fixed because God determined who was one, two, three, four, you get in the door. Five, six, you're in a fix. And, the, the, and, and I write your name in, but no, and you have no choice in your salvation, which is what many of these guys teach. Oh, it's based on a gross uh, mistranslation of the text. Go to Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. All who dwell on the earth, verse 8, will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written What's the next word? How many of you have from? From the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world. Not before. How many have the word since? Some translations have since. Does anybody have the new American standard? No, no. Not the new American standard, 1995 version, which many of us have. But now there's a new, new American standard. Okay? It's a new one. It just came out a year or two ago. It has the word since the foundation of the world, which is the same thing. Their names weren't written in the book of life. Since or from the foundation of the world. Guess what? The Greek word is apo, A-P-O, apo, okay? Just three letters, apo. It means from, some translations translate like the NASB, the new NASB, the new New American Standard Version, since or from as is here. And most translate it from, or as I said, other translations also have since, some of them do. Now, that's a great translation of the word apo, A-P-O, okay? It's, you don't translate apo before, okay? Uh, that would be like a, a very atypical translation. In fact, if he wanted to say before the foundation of the world, he would have used the preposition pro, P-R-O, before the foundation of the world. But he uses apo, meaning since or from the foundation of the world. So the point is, is, is that our names were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life or the Book of Life before the foundation of the world, but since then, when do you suppose your name is entered into the book of life? When you what? When you what? Believe, Believe when you what? Put your trust in Jesus. I'm hearing that everywhere. Well, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Because when one sinner comes to repentance, the heavens, the angels of heaven, what? They rejoice, amen? And that would make the most sense from the foundation of the world. By the way, that word, uh, apo, listen to it in Matthew 19.8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from Apo, the beginning of the world has not been this way. Apo, from, since the beginning of the world, this, since God gave the law to Moses, right? Since, but it doesn't mean before Apo. It didn't say since before the creation of the world or the beginning of the world. That's, no, it's Apo, since, from. So when you receive Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, Listen to this. Revelation 17, 8. If you have, anybody have the English Standard Version? Nobody has the English Standard Version. You can admit it. It's, 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 actually, it's actually very, it actually, it's, it's Reformed, it's Calvinistic. It's actually very, very good translation. It's a, it's a wonderful translation, okay? I gotta be honest, it's a good translation. I look at it and I, I sometimes I'll quote from it. Uh, it's bad right here though. Not in 17, 8. In 17, 8 it has it right. It says, and, uh, and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Apo. They got it right in 17.8. Guess what they do in 13.8 though, which supports the Calvinistic ver uh, understanding, but it's not what the text says in the Greek. It's the same word, apo, in 17.8 and in 13.8. I've checked it out. Same Greek word. But listen to 13.8 in the Reformed or Calvinistic translation, the English Standard Version in 13.8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it Everyone whose name has not been written before, <laughs> same Greek word, apo, means since and from. That's a terrible translation. Before the foundation of the world, in the book of life, the lamb who was slain. It's not even consistent with their own translation later when it's the same word in the same context and everything else. So shame, shame, shame. Not that they did it on purpose, but uh, I think they may have because it's theologically deceptive if they did do it on purpose. But I leave that before God, okay? Now, Are you with me still? 
Because we're talking about since and from. We're talking about two different books. We're talking about, you know, all these different things. And do you wish I would just use a couple verses? Or are you glad we get into this stuff? Are you glad we get into this stuff? Yes or no? Okay, praise the Lord. I want to know that, man. It doesn't matter. I'm going to get into it anyway. That's just who we are. But I want to, you know, have a good feeling in my heart that you're really into the truth, you know. <laughs> and I know you are. I see the faces. I see the smiles. I see the heads nodding, you know. I see one really disgruntled Calvinist, but I love him, you know. No, I'm kidding. That was a joke, okay. But we love Calvinists because Jesus died for everybody. <laughs> okay, now, how do you get in the book? Go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. How do you get in the book? Verse 6 and 7. And I saw an, another angel flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Now wait, he has an everlasting what? Gospel? To preach to everybody? Watch his first words out of his mouth when he preaches the everlasting gospel. With a loud voice, he proclaims what? Fear God. Fear God. And give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and spring of waters. Now, we know what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, the first few verses. Jesus died for our sins according to scriptures, was buried, rose again according to scriptures. Some would say, well, why did he say that? Well, you know, we've gone through Revelation 1 through 14. If you haven't, you're reading it. You see the gospel. You see no one's worthy to open the scroll except the lamb who was slain, right, and shed his blood, right? And you understand what the gospel is. But he's letting them, us know that when he preaches that gospel, he starts with fear of God. Who's going to judge you? He's going to judge the world. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. If you do not believe and understand and know that you are a sinner and you're not convicted of your sin and you don't recognize God and who he is and that you're going to stand before him and give an account for your sin, you're not going to fear him and you're not going to repent and you're going to feel like you don't need the Savior. Amen? Those who understand they need the Savior understand there's something they need to be saved from and they understand it's sin and they've sinned against his holy law. So the Bible says that this angel is going to say, fear God. The fear of the Lord, if you, be, if you start to fear the Lord, guess what? And you start to recognize, man, and let's say you're in Papua New Guinea or you're, you know, an aborigine or you're someone in ancient times in an ancient place where the, the gospel wasn't being preached. Or you're a Roman centurion named Cornelius and you know nothing about the gospel but you fear God. How in the world is your name going to be written in the book of life? How in the world does that work? Go to Malachi if you're Italian, go to Malachi. <laughs> go to Malachi, the uh, last book of the Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew, you just hang a left. Ma Malachi chapter 3. I love this. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord, amen, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a What? A book of remembrance was written before him for those who what? Fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be what? They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own possession or treasure or jewels, depending on the translation, and I will spare them, verse 17 of chapter 3, as a man spares, God bless you, his own son who serves him. Look at verse 18. You will, you will again distinguish between the what? Righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. By the way, belonging to him means you serve him. You're a servant. Amen. We're no longer slaves to unrighteousness and sin. We're slaves to God now. Amen. So to get in God's book, you need to fear him. I've done messages even on the fear of God. I've person came up afterwards who, great guy, comes once, could come once in a while. I don't believe we're supposed to fear God today. Did you listen to my message, man? I was throughout the New Testament, you know. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12. Don't fear man who destroy the body, says Jesus, to his own apostles, but fear God who destroy your body and soul in hell. Yes. And guess what? 
this angel is going to preach the everlasting gospel. He's going to say, start out with fear God. The judgment's coming. In other words, you need to get wise for your Lord Jesus' wisdom. I need to make the right decisions and get right with God. I need to put my eternity above any pleasure that's offered in this world system. And I love this passage because he makes a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The book of life is the book of the righteous. Amen. Now it's interesting. He sees you. He knows what you're talking about. He knows who you are. When you're in your most private times, you're not, it's not private to God. He's everywhere and he, he scrutinizes and he searches our hearts, you know, with his eyes of fire. But it's important, it's imperative that we recognize uh, that we need to fear uh, the Lord and we need to serve him. Now it's interesting, uh, the uh, Psalm, was it, chapter 25, it says, he makes his covenant known, remember that one? He makes his covenant known, the Lord does, to those who what? Fear him, remember that? God makes his covenant known to those who fear him. So if you fear him, he will reveal to you the covenant of Jesus, the new covenant. I love that, man. And that's beautiful. And uh, in fact, it's interesting because in Acts chapter 10, verse 2, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, was, he, was, he, he loved the Jewish people. And that blesses my heart. He was a non-believer that loved the Jewish people. And he gave alms. He gave to the poor. He fasted. He was a God-fearer. And we read in chapter 10, verse 2, a devout, he was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household. Yet he wasn't born again. And that we're told that God, and I'm not going to get into the whole story because we've done this before, but it's just, I'm going to at least mention it for just a minute here, is God moved heaven and earth, so to speak. He dispatched angels. He sent uh, Peter and Cornelius. He spoke to both of them. Peter through visions and, you know, unclean meat, called it clean, sends him to Cornelius. Cornelius has an angel talk to him. And guess what? He fears the Lord. And, and the Lord says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord says, he makes known his covenant to those who fear him. When a non-believer asks you, this is good apologetics, what about the Gaborigine? What about the guy in Papua New Guinea? What about the... Well, guess what? According to Romans chapter 1, they intuitively recognize as a God that's great and magnificent and wonderful and powerful. It's written in them, it says. If they respond to that creator and they fear him, it says he promises to make his covenant known to them. Isn't that beautiful? And guess what? The Lord uses Peter and... We see Peter says, when Cornelius gets saved, he says, open his mouth, chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. He's not a Calvinist. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. In every nation, the man who what? Fears him. So God directed Cornelius and Peter so Cornelius could hear the gospel. And if you fear the Lord, the Bible says in John, Jesus said, John 7, 17, he wills, listen to this, he who wills to do the will of the Father will know the truth. So if someone has a recognition and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, he's convicting them, he's like, okay, I give up, I'm a sinner, I need to get right with God. He will make known his covenant to them. Amen. If you will to do the will of the Father, Jesus said, you will know the truth. In Proverbs chapter 10, or chapter 1, verses 20 through 30. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts up her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O oh, naive ones, will you love uh, being simple-minded and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate and knowledge? Turn to my reproof. You know, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. So this is wisdom indiscriminately warning everybody that turn and I'll pour my spirit on you. That's, the, that's how the Holy Spirit works. He convicts the world of sin. And if you turn and you choose to fear him, he'll reveal himself to you. But listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 28, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. It's because after the judgment's come, it's too late. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Verse 29, because, because, here's the cause, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You have to choose to fear the Lord, brothers and sisters. Don't make up a phony Christianity where God's not to be feared. Verse 30, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. Mary states in Luke 1.50, and mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He gives mercy to those who have mercy. Amen? But guess what? 
he says, he goes on to say after that in Romans 9 and Romans 11, that he desires to show mercy to all. But if you refuse to fear him, humble yourself under his, God gives grace to the humble. If you refuse to say, God, it's about you, not about me. You won't obtain mercy. You will not obtain mercy. So, wow. <laughs> you know, I just want to encourage you guys. We covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of different topics. But we used to get done at, after two-hour service, so we get done at 11, right? But now we're getting done at, trying to get done at 10.45. Uh, and it looks like we're going to be able to do it. But before we pass out communion, are you right with the Lord? Is your name in the book of life? Because when you turn to Christ and receive him, who is the way, the truth, and life, amen, and embrace him who is the life, you admit you're a sinner. You fear God. You say, you know what? I don't want to stand before God and be cast alive in the lake of fire because everyone whose name was not written in the book of life was cast alive, was, or was cast into what? The lake of fire. That's what's going to happen to you because without Jesus, listen, without Jesus, you're in your sins. You're a lost soul. You, you, you need to be saved. You're lost. You're spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer on judgment day. Hey, look at all the good things I've done. That won't get you there. All of our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags before God. And all have sinned and come short of God's glory. And the wages of sin is death. And you're doomed. All of us are without Jesus. And Jesus said, this is the condemnation, John 3.18. Right after in John 3.16 and 17, Jesus says in those verses, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say, God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be saved, might be saved, amen. But then in verse 18, he says, this is a condemnation because they didn't believe in the only begotten son. Because if you don't put your trust in Jesus, your sins will not be forgiven. But Jesus came as a sacrificial lamb. God became a man to die in your place and was the torment and torture that he went through on the cross, the death he experienced is what we deserve for all eternity. Because he's infinite, he experienced suffering in an infinite way for everyone because he's God in the flesh he could suffer that for everyone, and he did. He suffered in your place. You don't have to remain lost. You don't have to be thrown in the lake of fire. What you need to do is embrace Jesus Christ right now as your Lord and your Savior. Amen? If you haven't done that, man, I hope you do, because guess what? The moment you do that, your name will be written in the book of life. The book of life of the Lamb. And the angels of heaven, Jesus said, will rejoice. Amen? Heaven will be so excited that you got saved and you'll never regret being saved. However, if you reject Jesus, you'll reject, you'll re regret that for all eternity to come. My heart will break for you forever. So make sure you turn to Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if we turn from our sins, if we repent, I'm sorry, if we repent in our hearts, metanoia, we, we turn in our hearts from a life of rebellion and sin against him and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we'll be saved. Jesus said, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. You have to repent and put your trust in Jesus. And, and so do that now if you haven't done that. Amen. This, the name of this message is called Straight Talk on the Book of Life. So we've had a real straight talk here. But I don't want it to be to no end or in vain. And I don't believe it is. Especially for the believers. But if you're a non-believer, this hopefully is, can you just say this is a time, whether it was through live stream or here in the assembly or our YouTube or however you got this message, you could say, Wow, that's the moment I got saved. I realized I need to get my name in the book. I need to be right with Jesus. So make sure you do that now. And just The Bible says, as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now and turn to him in faith. Amen? We're going to stay seated while we pass out the cup and the bread until we'll stand up after we get it. Uh, there is matzah too, I think. Uh, well, I took a piece because I saw it back there. Actually, I asked the elders to put the matzah back there. So if you want to use matzah, that's like real matzah. We got it right here. Oh, we do got it. Oh, so gay. great. I've been Trump. That's good. You know?